Good evening. Yeah. Well, it's true what he said, not for everyone, but for one of you. Uh, true statement. Uh, we are, as he said, in a series in the book of Colossians. This is, this is week two. Colossians is part of what we call uh, the New Testament. So the Bible is divided into two parts. There's the Old Testament, which is um, the Bible before Jesus. And then there's the New Testament um, that talks about the life of Christ and uh, and how to respond to who Jesus is. Colossians is one of those letters that's written to um, describe who Jesus is and how we live in light of him. Uh, and so let's, uh, let's get started. Uh, every, uh, every marriage, uh, every marriage out there has a starting place, right? A first moment of contact, a, a point where you look across the room and you're like, yeah, that's the one right there. Uh, for my wife and I, um, it started like this. She was dating a good friend of mine, friend of mine, friend of mine, friend of mine. Uh, uh, broke up. uh, I waited a couple of hours, uh, and then, I'm just kidding, it was two days, uh, and then I, <laughs> uh, true, and then I called him, uh, and I was like, hey buddy, are you okay? And he's like, yeah man, I'm okay, and then off we went, and then nine months later, we were engaged, six months after that, we, uh, had our wedding, um, and then here's what I learned the hard way. Uh, what I learned the hard way was it doesn't take long for that initial, uh, excitement and euphoria and all that goes into the, so the, this new marriage to just wear off, right? And so I know at least one of y'all uh, are engaged in this room, and so that probably just means you're thinking, no, not everybody, man. It just means you don't love Amanda, and that's the problem. That's not the problem. It wears off. Uh, it wears off. And how many of you guys have ever heard this? From a, either from a couple getting divorced or about a couple getting divorced. Listen, man, we, we still love each other, We've just drifted apart. Here's what our text is going to say. Like in a marriage, if you don't actively pursue Jesus, you will drift from Jesus. Let's get started. Colossians 1, 15, uh, which dives into this beautiful, what we think was a hymn that was circulating uh, at the day 15 to 20, uh, where uh, in response to the teaching that showed up in the Colossian church, Paul cites it and quotes this hymn. Uh, and listen, in 10 minutes, 12 minutes, I am not going to begin to do justice to this text. Maybe one day we'll come back and do a, a six-week series, just kind of line by line uh, going through it. But for now, um, we will do what we can. Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. All right, when it says that he's the image of the invisible God, here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you, you want to know what God is like. You want God to become tangible. You want to be able to hold God and see God and see his character, see who he is. You look to Jesus. But then he didn't stop with the image of the invisible God. He, he also said the firstborn of all creation. This is not um, speaking about biological birth. It's a statement of supremacy over creation. So if you trace firstborn uh, throughout the Old Testament, you, you find this, um, that what, what it's talking about is that the firstborn, um, firstborn son had authority over the inheritance rights of their father. This is a statement of authority over creation. And here's why, verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. 
Okay, in verse 16 where it says, uh, by him all things were created. By him is, is really uh, the best way to articulate what, what Paul is saying here, but literally it's in him. In him, out of him all things were created. That, that uh, Jesus was the active agent of creation. That, that, that it flowed out of him. It was in him literally. And he didn't just create what is visible. He created what is invisible. Um, that uh, the, the, the list, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. It's, this is a reference to an angelic rank. Angels and demons. It was the, um, the, the Jewish understanding of the day that there was this rank of angels and these were the categories that they were in. This is uh, saying that Jesus is supreme, not simply over what you can see, but he's supreme over even the angels. And so if, uh, if there are uh, some in this room, and I have no doubt that there are, um, who would say, uh, Brandon, I, I think that as a society we've moved on, right? I, I don't know that we, we have to believe in the spiritual realm to, uh, to, to live. I, um, I, I believe in what I can see in nature, in science, etc. I I don't re- really believe in this invisible realm, and I do believe that as a society we've moved on, haven't we? Um, I would give at least one response, maybe a second. Um, my first response would be this. Uh, no, I, I don't think we have. Um, and let me give you one simple piece of evidence for it. Um, every Halloween, there is a new demon movie with a baby's head that spins, that comes out um, every single year. You know why they make a new movie like that every single year? Because every single year, those movies make cash. And you know why they make cash? Because we are instinctively drawn to the supernatural. It is woven into humanity that we, even Western secular people, um, are drawn to the supernatural. The second response, which I, I thought I wasn't going to give, but I'll give real quick, uh, is that it's actually pretty narrow-minded. Um, so often the critique of Christians is that, is that we're narrow-minded, but I would say in this case, the person who says, I don't believe in angels or the invisible is probably being a little bit narrow-minded, and here's why. Um, we're not the only culture on earth. Uh, we're also uh, not the only culture that's ever existed in human history, and the majority of cultures on earth have no problem believing in the invisible spiritual realm uh, and so to say um, that, that I don't is really being, in, in a sense, being very uh, narrow. And it's to say that the, the wisdom that other cultures have, um, I'm not going to listen to it. And, and so I would, I would just encourage maybe, um, maybe at least being honest with that, all right? And then he goes on in 17 and says that um, all things in this universe, they're, they're being held together. There's not a molecule cell in this room that's not being held in its place right now by Christ and Christ alone, that, that uh, I am so grateful for uh, the medical field and medical advancements and the common grace of that. But listen, my cholesterol medicine is not what's holding me together. Christ is. And I need it, apparently. But it's not what's holding me together. Christ is. He, he is the one who is, by the word of his power, holding the universe in its place and holding it together. And Paul's point is that um, Jesus is supreme over all of creation, both visible and invisible. And now he's going to move on and say um, he's not just supreme over creation, he's supreme over redemption. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That, that wording, um, uh, it says he is the beginning, not, not from the beginning, that he is the beginning, that he is the source of all redeemed 
life, that the, uh, the next thing, firstborn from the dead, it's not saying that uh, Jesus is the first person to have been resurrected from the dead. He is the only person resurrected from the dead who is still alive. There, there has never been another man um, who is resurrected from the day, uh, from the day, not from the day, from the dead, who is still alive. I don't care how many books CVS sells. One man was resurrected from the grave who is still alive, and it's Jesus. He is supreme over recreation. Verse 19, let's keep going. For in him, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. We could do a six-week sermon on that one alone. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And to dwell, the fullness of God dwelling in Jesus was a statement of his deity. It was um, this deep, rich, profound statement that God is residing in Jesus, that, that the confession we uphold, it says that, that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. And the reason that matters is no one other than someone who is fully God, fully man, could redeem and reconcile both heaven and earth, what is visible and what is invisible. It takes a God-man from both spheres to come in and do that. So let me, let me tell you why, uh, let me maybe illustrate why I think it's so uh, important that if we're going to talk about the necessity of actively pursuing Jesus that we, we dive into and that maybe you would leave here tonight and you would just uh, go to dinner with us, but then after dinner, you would just saturate your life in verses 15 to 20. Here's why. Let me illustrate it. Um, my wife and I, we, we've been married 11 and a half years. About six months in, eight months into being married, we're living in our little apartment. Uh, and I see her walk into the bathroom, and I'm like, here's my shot. And so I dart past her. I go into the closet. It's dark. Um, and I wait for her to come out. And when she comes out, I jump out, and I go, ah! And she goes airborne, does a 180, and is in full-blown waterwork tears before she hits the bed. And I learned in that moment, my wife does not like to be startled. Learned it the hard way. So if I, if I said to my wife, uh, hey, baby, hey, I got a date night planned for Friday, right? Get some child care. It's going to be romantic. You're going to love it. It's going to be awesome. And I took her to that new Halloween thriller with a demon baby head spinning around that startles you every 10 seconds. What does that mean? Best case scenario, that means I don't know my wife. It means I don't know her. It means I don't know her. And if I don't know my wife, I can't pursue my wife. If I don't know Jesus, I can't pursue Jesus. If I don't look in here and see the depth of who he is, I can't pursue him. In the same way that I've got to know my wife to pursue my wife, I have to know Jesus to pursue Jesus. But we also have to know why, not just who, but why. So let's keep reading verse 21. This is, this is the gear shift in the text where um, all of a sudden he goes from um, this beautiful theology about Christ to turning the corner and looking you in the eye. And you, verse 21, and you, and you, and you. who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy 
and blameless and above reproach before him. Here's why. Why why pursue Jesus? Why? Here's why. You and I were born alienated and hostile. And listen, I uh, it doesn't matter. Like if you grew up inside of the church and, and you did Jesus story time every single night in your family and you prayed together and you had like Bible law time at 3 a.m., it doesn't matter. There was a day when you were alienated, even born in the covenant community, you were alienated. And here's what Jesus did when he came into the world, lived in your place to die in your place on the cross. You know what was happening? Jesus was experiencing the alienation of the Father. That is, Jesus hung there, and as the clouds went dark, and as he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was experiencing the full hostility of the Father in your place. In your place. He was alienated so that you wouldn't have to be Why? So that one day, one day, one day you'll be before him. And that word before, it's a a word that doesn't get a lot of playing time in the scriptures. It's It's a word that usually is translated in the sight of. In the sight of. That one day in the sight of him, when you're eyeball to eyeball with Christ, he'll look at you and he'll say, holy, blameless, above reproach. Listen, you... You who see all of the little imperfections in your life right now, he's not looking at them. He, listen, there is coming a day when you're going to be in the presence of Christ and all the things you don't like about yourself, they won't even be a memory. Like the things that you are ashamed of, the thing that you're embarrassed of, the thing that, man, like if if somebody said, hey, I know this about this person, you're going to run out and never come back, those are not even going to be a memory in that day. My, my family, we have this, um, we have this little beach house uh, over in Galveston, uh, which I know beach, Galveston house, those words don't go together usually. Um, so it's a house on some dirt near water. We go down a couple times a year, it's nothing fancy. We hop in the golf cart, or I hopped in the golf cart this last time and I drove down the beach and I hit the spot over on Bolivar where where all of a sudden I just had these flashbacks to when I was 19, 20, 21. I realized I was in the spot of the beach where where I just just did horrific things. Things that if my son did, I would just bawl. I started to just be overwhelmed with shame. Like the kind of shame that makes your chest hurt. Like you just. And so I text out some guys and one of them texts back, hey, your, your daughter once told me that Jesus makes dirty hearts clean. And I remembered one, that's the hope of the gospel. Like, Jesus saves sinners. I'm one of them. But you know what this text says? This text says that when I'm before Christ, the shame that hurts won't be present. I won't feel shame anymore. Regret over my past, that'll be, that'll be long gone. I will look my Christ in the eye and I will hear the word holy, 
blameless, above reproach. And if he's not going to feel shame or if I'm not going to feel shame in that day, that means Christ isn't feeling shame over my life today. And if, I, if he's not feeling shame over my life today, then there's no reason I have to feel shame over my life today. What it, what it reveals in me is that I still functionally believe in a works righteousness. Like I still functionally believe that I had something to do with my salvation. I still functionally believe that on some level uh, I did enough where God would say, you're ready, come to me. Instead of saying this is complete and totally by grace. And some of you in this room right now, you, you need to listen to me. You need to, not me, but me through the words of Paul here, that you are going to be before him one day, and in that day he's going to say, holy, blameless, above reproach, and you need to hear that ringing in your ears today. You don't have to walk around with a scarlet letter on your chest over something in your past. You won't have one then. You don't have to wear one now. So why do we pursue? Because on the cross, he pursued us so that one day he'd look us in the eye and say, holy, blameless, above reproach. And now how? And how is going to start out with a warning. It's a warning some of us need to hear. And I wish I could gloss over it, but I'm not about to do that. Fear the Lord too much. Verse 23, if indeed you've been reconciled, if indeed, two frightening little words in the text right here. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has become which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Here's the warning. If you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. You want to know if you've been reconciled, or are you continuing in the faith? Are you continuing stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel? Listen, I... Um, I uh, and by the way, the, the way Paul writes it here, he has, he has no assumption that there is an if to be had, but the word is still there. He has, he has no reason to assume that they're not continuing in the gospel, but he gives the warning anyway, and so we need to hear the warning. Like, I, I have um, good confidence in my conversion right now. I, I have strong evidences of grace in my life that I can trace over the last 16 years, I can trace over the last 16 days. But do you know how I'll know? I'll know when I hold fast till the end. I'll know when I stay stable and steadfast. I don't shift from the hope of the gospel. But here's what I need you to see. and Here's what you have to see. And this is what, if there's anything that's been prayed over you for out of this text, it's this. The word continue, if you continue, active verb. The word shifting, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, passive verb. So it's most literally, if you continue, if you continue in the faith, not being shifted from the hope of the gospel. So let me reword it and say it like this. I think this is Paul's point. If you don't actively pursue Jesus, you will passively drift from Jesus. If you don't actively pursue Jesus, you will passively drift from Jesus. And so how do we continue? How do we pursue 
the word continue, it's the root word of abide. It's just the same word Jesus used in John 15 when he said, abide in me, abide in me. And so actively pursuing means actively abiding. To actively continue is to actively abide in Jesus. And so what does it mean to abide? How do I do that? How do I do that? Well, here's, let, me, let me give some practical help here. First, abiding in Jesus is a lifelong process of retraining our habits. A lifelong process of retraining our habits. To habit spiritual disciplines into our life, which Richard Foster says, place ourselves before God so we can transform us. It's learning to habit spiritual disciplines into our life so that we can habit the presence of God into our life. And so I want to give you four. I want to give you four and walk through them. None of them are going to be new. You have heard all of them if you've been around uh, really any amount of time here or in church any amount of time in your life. Here they are. You ready? Word, prayer, worship, community. Word, that you would open up the scriptures and meditate on them daily. Daily. Not simply to increase your understanding of Jesus, but to commune with the living Christ through them. And so if you don't, if you currently don't, um, read the scriptures on a daily basis. I want to give you a really tangible next step. Here's the next step. You ready? Take five minutes out of your day and read one chapter. Take five minutes. Start with the book of John. And listen, I I know a lot of you, um, you are not that busy that you can't take five minutes out of your day. Take five minutes, read one chapter, start with the book of John. What if... Uh, what if I read the Bible, Brandon, but I don't get anything out of it? Well, um, I'd say a couple things. One, it might be that you're reading the Bible like it's a roadmap for life, toolbox, whatever analogy you want to use, kind of the, um, hey, where do I live, who do I marry, etc. But the Bible doesn't answer those questions. No, the Bible is God's primary means by which he communes with us. And one of the beauties of the Bible, um, that we believe the Bible was inspired by the Holy Spirit. We have been redeemed, um, sealed by the Holy Spirit. And so it helps to understand the Bible, but you don't have to understand the Bible to be conformed to the image of Christ through the Bible. Prayer. Number two, prayer. What prayer is to pursuing Jesus, what conversation is to marriage. Prayer is to pursuing Jesus, what conversation is to marriage. So imagine this conversation. Imagine we get done. Uh, and we're standing back there at the table, and you're like, hey, I've got questions about sojourn, yada, yada. And then you say, hey, Brandon, by the way, how's, how's your marriage? And I'm like, man, we good. We're doing good. I mean, we haven't talked in a couple years, but we're doing good, man. Like, last time we did, it was awesome. Like, I was romantic. She was funny. It was just awesome. 2015 was a good year for us. Um, prayer is to pursuing Jesus what conversation is to marriage. What if I don't know how to pray? Mother Teresa said you learn to pray by praying. What if I prayed before and my prayer wasn't answered? Yes, it was. It just might not have been the way you wanted it to be. Every prayer is answered either in giving you what you want or withholding for something better. If he is good, loving, sovereign, he answers or he withholds, but it's always for your good. Worship. Gathering on Sundays, corporate worship, I'm speaking of Sunday gathering, doing what we're doing right now where we come together and we start with this call to worship and we walk through the gospel in a liturgy and then we sit under, we sit under the Bible like 
passages like Colossians and we let it just wash over us and then we come down to the table and we take the bread, we tip it in the cup and we commune with Christ in it. Listen, I, I want to uh, I, I say this. Uh, some of us here, uh, and, and this is less true at five than it is uh, in the morning, so I'll buffer it with that honest statement. Uh, some of us here need to prioritize Sundays. We need to prioritize the Sunday gathering um, and not simply, not simply take every trip out of town because we can. And then two, we need to stop seeing Sunday as a preaching event only. We need to stop thinking, well, eh, no big deal if I'm not there. I can just podcast it. You know what you can't podcast? You, you can't podcast prayer. You can't podcast a confession of sin. You, you certainly can't podcast the table. You, you can't podcast what happens on a Sunday when the church comes together. Martin Lloyd-Jones, famous preacher back in the day, um, he, at the height of his ministry is when tapes started to come out, which that'll date him a little bit. Uh, but you know what he didn't want? He didn't, at, at, in the beginning, he didn't want his sermons recorded and then distributed. You know why? Because he said there's this beautiful communal loop that happens between the word, the preacher, and not the individual, but the church. And if you listen to a tape of my sermon, this is him, you don't get to experience the sermon as it was meant to be experienced. That there's this rich something that happens when I'm listening to the word preached, but I'm doing it in the context of other believers where I'm watching you interact and you see me interact and we see how the gospel penetrates and shapes a community. You can't, I don't even think, I'm not going to say it. Um, you can't can't simply recreate a sermon online on Tuesday. You can't podcast what happens on a Sunday. And then community. Community. We, we need friends, but not just friends. We need spiritual friends. We need friends who will remind us of the promises of the gospel uh, and be willing to reveal our blind spots and bring those promises into our blind spots. I have a friend of mine in my parish uh, who a couple weeks ago uh, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, uh, texted me up and said, hey, man, can we get coffee? The truth is I thought he was going to complain about Sojourn for some various reasons, and I was like, man, I'm not going to be able to do this. If he does, I might snap on this one. Um, just honest, right? Safe space for me, too. Uh, maybe not. I didn't know that. I know it now. Uh, and while we were there, he, uh, he said, hey, man, I've, I've just noticed some things in your interaction with Amanda, and I want to talk about them. Listen, I... I have blind spots too, and I need you to help me see my blind spots, and I need you to be willing to bring the gospel into my blind spots in the same way that you need me and you need one another to know each other so that we can bring the promises of the gospel into our blind spots. We need friends, but not just friends. We need spiritual friends. And if I could maybe talk about parish life, since that's where we live this out at Sojourn. Uh, we talk a lot about parish life and parish as being a, hey, come and let's just live rhythms of life, day-to-day, community, etc. cetera. Uh, my, my wife and I have found it to be a real struggle to, to live out the day-to-day rhythms of, uh, of life inside of a parish. Like, to be honest, we would love it if, if, if people, um, all of y'all, we don't care, but my parish is special, just show up at our house. Just show up knock on the door and say, hey, I'm eating dinner. What, what are we having tonight? Like, that's the life we want to live, but it hasn't happened. I mean, you know what? To be fair, we don't show up at other people's house. So, lose-lose, all right? Uh, 
But I think this is the way that we live out um, everyday rhythms of life inside a neighborhood parish at Sojourn. I think for us in our context, here's what it means. It means learning to reprioritize our calendars around what matters most. It means learning to, as a community, reprioritize our calendars so we can live out what matters most. And so let me, let me do two things. One, let me say this, that, that these disciplines, they are not, they are simply a means to an end, right? We don't, we're not encourage you to read the Bible just to learn the Bible, but to commune with Christ. That, that when we say, hey, every week get into a neighborhood parish, it's not just so you can make friends and you can feel that, fill that relationship void in your life. It's so that in the context of the church, you can experience and commune the living Christ. We don't say prioritize Sundays because we're trying to stack some number. It's because we want you to come and experience the living Christ in the Sunday gathering. Prayer, the same thing. They are means to an end. But then let me address the elephant in the room. Because for some, there's an elephant in here. Here's the elephant for some of us. You ready? Um, hey, Brandon, I do those things, man. Like, I do them and it's not working. I do them. I read the Bible. I pray every Sunday I'm here. And in fact, I'm in three parishes. It's not working. Like, I don't feel Christ in my life right now. Let's address it. Let's talk about it. You ready? Um, Psalm 1. Before I say that, here's what Psalms are going to say. The Psalms are going to say that you should experience seasons like that. And here's why. Psalm 1 says that you're like a tree planted uh, by streams of water yielding its fruit in season. And then Psalm 130 says, my soul waits on the Lord. I wait on the Lord. My soul waits on the Lord. So put them together and here's what you have. That you are like a tree that bears fruit. It just does it in seasons. And every tree has a winter. And in the winter, on the surface, it looks dead. Everything is fallen off, dead. But you know what's happening underneath? That's the season where the roots are digging deeper and growing the strongest. So that the next spring, its fruit can be stronger. More fruit the following spring because it's got deeper roots. And we put them together. Here's what that means. That means that you actually need winters. You actually need winters. You need seasons where it doesn't look like anything is happening on the outside because that's when your roots are getting deeper. And here's how the roots get deeper in the winter. You learn the art of waiting. You learn the art of waiting, waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord. Because listen to me, actively pursuing Jesus doesn't simply mean habiting spiritual disciplines into your life. It means learning the art of waiting. One of the ways that we actively pursue Jesus is that we actively wait on Jesus. It's why, it's why, why seasons of winter don't have to be seasons of drifting. We're saying it this way. A season of waiting doesn't have to be a season of drifting. It doesn't have to be. It it is sometimes, but it doesn't have to be. If if you're in a season where you, I just, man, I just, Brandon, I just like, this is cute stuff you're talking about, but it's not happening in my life. That season of waiting on the Lord right now doesn't have to be a season of drifting. 
It doesn't have to be. It can be a season of deepening in your life. It can be a season where in this unique way you actively continue, you actively abide so that when the spring gets here, the fruit of your life, the gospel fruit of your life might be stronger than it's ever been. Doesn't have to be a season of drifting. Here's our prayer that that this would be us, that we would be a people, a community of people. This this community of this community of believe like we we would be a people who actively abide in Christ. That we would actively abide, we would actively pursue Jesus' word, prayer, worship, community, so that we don't passively drift from Jesus. Because if you don't actively pursue Jesus, you will passively drift from Jesus every single time. And we're praying this for you, over you, that one day, and one day, maybe we'll still be together. I don't know, but we'll be 80. Not, well, I'll be 80. That'll make you all like 70. And so 80, 90, and we're just together and going, hey, you know what? You know what? We did it. Like, we, we never drifted. We, we together as a community, we actively abided and we didn't drift away. And now we're handing it off to the next generation so that they might actively abide and not drift. And then they can hand it off to someone else so they might actively abide and not drift. May this be true of us. May we be a community who actively pursues Jesus so that we don't passively drift from him. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. We do thank you that you would send your son into the world to be the supreme God over all of creation and recreation, over creation and redemption. May we know that the hope of the gospel is that Jesus saves sinners that the hope of the gospel is not I was good enough and so you invited me, but in my most distant state, you redeemed and reconciled me. I pray for those in here right now who are in a season of waiting. It doesn't feel like waiting. It just feels like desperation and isolation from you. I pray that they would know that they are not isolated, that you have not drifted from them even if they have drifted from you, and that you are near you love them and you're for them. And then for the rest of us, I, I pray that we, would, uh, that we would actively rehabit our life. And that word, prayer, worship, community would, would not be something that we'd wake up one day and say, that's just not part of who I am. May it be true of us. May it be true of us in 50 years. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.